This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Walter. Hey. How you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. Frazzled little technical uh, demons, as always. We made it, man. We made it. No worries. (laughs) We made it. (laughs) Well, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for having me, my friend. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, let's let's get right into it. Walter Walter Easterbrook, uh, first of all, opening staff at uh, bar staff at the Bowery Hotel, right? That's correct. I did my time about a decade uh, at the Bowery Hotel. Such a cool spot. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Yeah, what kind of what kind of cocktails were you doing ten years ago? Um, that's funny. <laughs> um, you know, it, it it came about at a time when you know the the cocktail movement was was just peaking. You know what I mean? So even when I started over there, it was pretty raw. We still had like the sour mix on the gun um, and, and things like that. So it it was great. It came about at a time when that movement was really pushing forward with the fresh juices and the herbs and you know, rating, you know, chefs walk-in coolers and stuff. So, you know, we, we always kept it very approachable over there. Uh, we didn't go too crazy. You know, we only had maybe six or seven different bitters, not 15 to 20. Um, you know, so we, we, we dealt with a lot of locals and we worked with a lot of, you know, hotel guests and we always kept it, you know, a lot of the classics. Uh, and then we had a lot of twists on the classics, but we kept it very simple and very approachable with the use of uh, fresh fresh ingredients. Yeah, something about a hotel bar, you really have to, uh, well, it has to be approachable to everybody, I think, right? No matter how cool the hotel is. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I mean, like I said, we just didn't want to go over the top. I mean, it wasn't like just a private speakeasy, you know, it was always, the doors were always open to the locals. Um, That was important to us. And then, of course, always um, our hotel guests first. Yeah. And it's, um, how many rooms in that hotel? 135 rooms. Yeah, yeah, pretty small. I thought so. But it's yeah. uh, just beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, building. it used to be an old gas station um, that oh. sat there on the corner. Uh-huh. So that's the funny thing is everybody comes in there, they look at it, they think it's 100 years old. They right. want to know what the history was, who used to stay there. <laughs> and when I first started, I was I was like, oh, the hotel is only two years old. And you see the d- disappointment on their face. It's <laughs> like, what? This is so new? It's such a new hotel? I'm like, yeah, it just made it look old. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, that's not always easy to do to make something new look old. Like, uh, yeah. let's say, like Dead Rabbit. You know, that looks like it's been there a hundred years. They did a great job. <laughs> they did a great job with that as well. Yeah. But I was talking to somebody once about it. I was like, you know, these new hotels that open up and they're so like modern looking. I'm like, they're gonna have to redo the place in five years. It's gonna look dated. You know, it's well, already starting to look silly. It, is, it, it and it does. You're right. After like five years, they go so modern with things. I, I like just the classic look. You know what I mean? just keep it simple classic you know a little little attention to detail goes a long way and that's what they've done with the bowery i mean you know that that thing will stick around for another 50 years and look fine you know and that, and that's the thing too is the more weathered it gets or the more people that come in um just the better it looks yeah exactly but there yeah it's it's won't get old because it's already old or it looks that's that way right. anyway <laughs> that's, that's right yeah yeah well then, uh, so I, uh, I'm really interested to hear how you made the transition to the brand side because uh, that's sort of on uh, on people's minds, maybe mine included. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, I've been bartending in New York City for about 20 years. Um, you know, obviously recently, as we just talked about at the Bowery Hotel, um, I was there for about five years, and I started thinking, you know, what's next? And a lot of people were doing a lot of the consulting work. Um, you know, so I started to reach out and you know, worked on a couple of menu designs and started work with some brands and helping them with events and, 
whether it be presentations or a cocktail design. Uh, but I wanted to do a little bit more than that. So I just started to try to create my own events. And I started to find random spaces and raw spaces um, and try to host some some events with some consumers and some different brands um, <clears throat> and worked with uh, partners and the wrong partners and some decent partners and some wrong partners. And, <laughs> you know, you're trying to build your own personal brand and your own personal company. And, you know, you're just working your butt off, um, you know, and, and not making any money, but then you think there's something there and you think it's something worth it. And, um, you know, I think it was about five years ago, I was working at the hotel full time. I picked up another job part time. I had my first daughter, um, and I bought a house and I tried to start my own company. Um, <laughs> I don't recommend that to anybody out there <laughs> in my mind. I was like, you know what, if I just do it all now in five years, it will be great. Um, and in five years it's pretty good, but it's not, you know, um, so yeah. So basically I started just working with, with different brands, um, hosting little kind of events and tastings and trying to sell tickets and trying to figure out that business model. Um, and just the more I did it, the more I learned, the more I did it, the more I failed, the more I learned. Um, and I was able to, you know, just finally get a lot of the liquor brands to trust me and, and they like what I was doing. Um, and what I ended up doing, one of my first big events, I did a large whiskey event about four years ago. Um, we called it the whiskey washback and we took over a, a 10,000 square foot technology startup company, mm. um, and basically pushed desks aside. We wrapped some desks. Um, we hosted private tastings, um, in, uh, in, in the, in the, in the, in the rooms, um, that they had at the office, um, in the conference rooms. Um, and we, we sold 500 tickets. We had about 20 different liquor brands come in, um, and just really just did it. We did it on the raw. Um, and that was one of my first big events. It was a little scary. Yeah. Um, so, so from there, you know, we, I, I, I took it to the Bowery hotel. Actually, one of my first events over there was an agave event called Arte Agave. Um, I took every dime that I made in the past. I plopped it down on the hotel. I actually rented out the second floor, uh, begged and pleaded for whiskey or uh, for, uh, agave brands to come in, you know, tried to sell some tickets um, and just created this, this giant 600 person festival. Jeez. Um, yeah. So, so that's where it all kind of started for me. You know, I, I just started working privately with, with the liquid liquor brands, um, building up my own private events, building larger events, and then just taking that leap. Um, and something that resonated with me a while ago, uh, a friend of mine, you know, he was working for a company and they used to get hired by these agencies and they used to do all the work. He's like, we'd do all the work. We'd bring everything in. We'd, we'd help him with X, Y, and Z. And he goes, at the end of the day, we never owned the event. You know, he's like, all we were was just a, a private gun to hire. Um, and I didn't want that. I wanted to own my own event, um, my own events. Um, so that's what I did. I just took the leap of faith and put up my own money and, um, started, started creating these, these bigger, larger, um, kind of events slash festivals slash what we call elevated experiences for liquor brands. Um, nice. so that's, that's what really got me working with, with, with the brands. Um, and I worked with the local Brown Foreman team, um, doing a lot of events and, and then this opportunity with Woodford reserve came up. Um, and it, it was always my whiskey of choice. It was my bourbon of choice. It's what I drank behind the bar. Um, so it just made sense for me. So I, I, you know, as I was working towards working with multiple brands, um, this Woodford Reserve thing came about, and 
I was able to jump on that. Nice. Well, we'll talk yeah. more about uh, Woodford in, in a minute, and we'll even taste some. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, you know, I, doing events at, like, raw spaces like that is something that uh, I haven't had a lot of experience with, but it's just kind of intimidating because, you know, it's, like, hard enough doing an event for, you know, two or 300 people behind a real bar, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so when yep. you get, you're going into a space that has nothing, man, it's just, like, oh, it's, it's overwhelming. It's rough. It's one thing to have a space that has nothing, because then you can just bring everything in. But it's another thing to have a space that has already existing items there. You know what I mean? So mm. like when we took over that that startup company, I mean, they, mm. they had desks and they had computers and they had, right, right. you know, so we had to like take things out. We had to move things to the side. So we had to not only, you know, bring it in, but we had to do all this production of moving things, all this production of bringing everything in, and then the actual production of the event. Mm. And of course, clean up and putting everything back. Um, it was, it took days. It, it took yeah, days, bet. my friend. It did. I I it bet. really did. And I, I guess you have like mountains of checklists, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Many, many Google sheets and slides and documents. Um, yeah. Of, of everything that needs to be done. It's and a lot of moving parts. All the stuff you need to bring with you, right? You don't want to get there and say, oh, we forgot cups. <laughs> well, it, you know, there's there's things that you learn in the beginning. Um, you know, you learn the hard way sometimes. Um, but, yeah, there's there's always a giant checklist and um, of everything that needs to be done. So, yeah, the, uh, Woodford, man, it's a iconic brand. And um, tell us more about it. How long has it been around, first of all? We are on our um, 20th anniversary, actually, this year. All right. So, yeah, it came about um, – you know, in the in the 1990s, at a time when, you know, I mean, listen, American bourbon is super hot right now. Um, 20 years ago, you couldn't say that at all. Um, nobody really drank it that much. People would drink some whiskey, um, but the thing that people did drink is they did drink a lot of good scotch. Um, mm-hmm. They drank they drank a lot of good wine. Um, so the market was there. People were importing all these these good scotches and these good wines. Um, so this a fellow by the name of Owsley Brown uh, from the Brown Foreman family decided to you know go against the grain if you will of uh, and create a super premium bourbon um, at a time when there wasn't much on the market so um, they they took over um, where the distillery is now is actually a, na- a national landmark um, down in Kentucky out at uh, in Woodford County so they they took over the old distillery that Brown Foreman used to own they actually sold it to to a farm uh, and and bought it back. Uh, exclusively for Woodford Reserve uh, and created this product that we know today. And one of the, the first things they did, and they were one of the first innovators of this, is is to make, um, you know, the distillery open for tours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of the old, old distilleries, um, they're not made for tours. I mean, they're just, there's piping everywhere and it's, you can't walk around and they're pretty <laughs> ugly. Um, but now if you look at any of the modern distilleries, um, they're beautiful. You know, they're beautiful and and you know, people want to go see it. They want to go see the pot stills. They want to see the fermentation process. They want to walk into the rickhouse and and see the barrel. So, um, you know, Woodford was one of the first innovators of that. And and just by doing that, getting people to walk in and see the process, you know, a lot of other the, the bourbon companies down in Kentucky did the same thing. And um, ultimately, this has helped uh, raise the category as a whole uh, and get more consumer awareness. Yeah, yeah. It's so fun that people just want to, you know, know everything about what they're consuming now, you know, they wow, want to see it made and they want to, you know, where, where are you growing this stuff? And you know where the barrels come from. <laughs> dude, people are super smart. I mean, every, the consumers, even, you know, bartenders these days. I mean, when I started bartending 20 years ago, 
you know, just to look at something. If I looked at a pop still, I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, but but nowadays these, these bartenders, man, every everybody wants to know everything. They're super smart, super educated, uh, and the brands themselves have done a really good job educating people. Uh, on it and that, like i said that's just raised the whole entire category it's been great it's fun you, you know it's a, kind of a challenge though when you're buying the bar and then you get somebody who um thinks they know more about bourbon than they actually do <laughs> or whiskey or whatever we're talking about you know so they'll they'll tell you well you know uh whatever all all bourbon's made in kentucky or so you know whatever yeah <laughs> yeah it's like you have to have this delicate thing of like trying not to uh be Mr. Smarty Pants and make your guests still feel important, yet you kind of want to correct them, you know? It, it depends. I mean, if, if they're having a good time drinking, I'll, I'll let people tell their story and I'll just try to jump right in and, and be part of that conversation. But uh, yeah, I mean, so, so there's always there's always one person in, in a group um, <laughs> totally. you know, that, that thinks he's this or wants to act this way. And usually they're just trying to impress a girl. So yeah. So I know sometimes you just got to let them do their thing, right? <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> you don't you never want to make your guests feel bad about themselves. So, uh, this is interesting. The, uh, the flavor wheel here. And I, I gathered up, uh, some of the ingredients you suggested, although I it think did. somebody stole my chocolate bar. Oh it's man. That's the best part. <laughs> I found some like Hershey's cocoa powder. I don't know if that'll work. <laughs> is it like dark chocolate? Yeah. Oh, dark. Well, as long as it's dark, yeah, I guess um, it'll that'll work. work. I bought like yeah. a nice piece of Garaldi chocolate, and it's gone. Oh, man. <laughs> you can't you trust kids? anybody. Do you have kids running yeah. around somewhere? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, how do we? Uh, how should we proceed with our taste? Yeah, program? let's let's get into. It. I mean, do you, do you have your wood for reserve in front of you? That's I the biggest sure question. Sure do. Yes, I do. Yes, yeah. So let's um, let's start with um, grab some wood for reserve. You have some water as well um, in front of you. Um, just kind of clean off your palate a little bit, but let's actually go ahead and taste the Woodford Reserve. Um, right. So we're on the, 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 uh, the bourbon, right? The bourbon. Yeah. Neck. Yep. Grab the distiller select bourbon, uh, have a sip kind of, I mean, I'm sure, you know, we've all had the distiller select bourbon before, but let's kind of reintroduce ourselves to it. Um, the cool thing about Woodford is there's 212 different flavor profiles of Woodford. Um, and if you want to categorize those flavor profiles, you'd put them into like, fruit and floral, sweet aromatics, wood, grain, uh, and spice. So it, once you're tasting Woodford, I mean, there's really no wrong answer of what you taste. I mean, you can go ahead, if, you, if there's something that, that pops out with what you're tasting right now, um, go ahead and let me know. Like I said, I get, I get some cinnamon, I get some chocolate um, from it. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like what your own, your own palate would lean to or maybe what you had for lunch earlier. I get, um, I get like a burnt orange peel right away. Orange peel, yeah, a lot of citrus. Yeah, tons of citrus. Uh, you know, obviously there's some, there's some of that barrel. You're probably getting some of that oak. Um, so what we want to do now is, is, you know, once you've you've had the you've had the bourbon, you tasted it. You know what it tastes like. You know, and your your palate is is bringing out those flavors. Um, let's go ahead and and take a bite of um, take a bite of the the cheese that you have, the aged cheese. Yep. Take a bite and go ahead and, and take a drink of the um, the Woodford Reserve. You said aged. You said aged Parmesan, and I had something aged that was. Parm- it was aging for a long time in my fridge. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> I guess I was so, I was saving it for this this particular I like occasion. That. I like that, man. I like that. Unconsciously. <laughs> <laughs> so you're probably getting, you know, there right now you're you're getting different flavor profiles that are popping out. Um, like I said, I get a little bit of nuts. 
um, that, that come out. Maybe you might be getting a little bit of pecan. Um, I don't let me know if, if there's something that's. I mean, after taste the cheese and then the taste the cheese, again. have a drink. Yeah. Yeah. And then and see what flavors are coming out. Like I said, this is this exercise will basically, you know, kind of tell you it helps you pull out some of the other flavor flavor profile notes that you might not get personally, but once you have some of the different bites of food, uh, it'll help pull out pull out some of those those tasting notes. Yeah, that's interesting. It really does taste quite different now. I mean, obviously, I have the cheese in my mouth, but right. I mean, yeah, you taste. Um, what did I get? Some pepper. Mm. Mm. I get like a, um, not in a bad way, but you know, we use all kinds of terms to describe what we're tasting, right? Like, um, uh, bicycle tire. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been chewing on my bicycle tire in a while, in a while, so. <laughs> but, um, I think the cinnamon comes through a little more now. Yeah. Now it's more, now it's more lemon than orange. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, that'll change up too. So the aged parm is a, li- it's a little bit more difficult than the other ones we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Um, so go ahead. We'll move to um, – I think you have the, the cranberries in front of you. Yeah, craisins. Yeah. Craisins. Yeah, got to go with the craisins. So do the, do the same thing. Grab, take, take a couple bites of the, the craisins. Drink some of the Woodford Reserve bourbon. And now remember there's a lot of berries um, in Woodford Reserve. So – Oh yeah, you know you're probably not tasting the cranberries anymore, but you're probably tasting probably a ton of cherry. Wow, this is interesting. It really, it really does change again. Yeah, uh, so you're, this is a completely different world you're, you're tasting yeah. now. So, but you're, but as I mentioned, you're probably getting a lot of berries, um, obviously because it's a cranberry. But you're probably getting maybe a lot of cherry, some dark fruit, other berries. I said I don't know if there's something, it, um, something specific. It's a, it, um, it sort of lightened up the mouthfeel for me now. Yeah, a little bit, but um, but yet the oak is really coming through to me now. Oak, yeah, you're probably an oak, dark fruit, a lot of berries. Mm-hmm. Um, that that'll come out with that. Yeah, stone fruit, nectarine, maybe. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, we can. So we can move on to the to the orange now. Okay, it's interesting. Um, this exercise makes me think, of course, of um, you know, cocktail and food pairings or whiskey right. whiskey pairings, you know, with food. So. Uh, yeah, that's a science I really need to, or an art I really well, need to learn more about. Well, that's the thing too is I mean, people are always like, "Well, you know, you got to have a glass of wine with dinner," and it's like, why not? Why not have some bourbon? You know, why not have some whiskey? Why not? You know, I mean, yeah. it's like it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, it's not like you have to have a cocktail, you know, throughout dinner. But like, I have nothing wrong with bourbon. I, this, I mean, this is how I drink. I I start with my bourbon, with my appetizer. I have my rye. Um, with my dinner, uh, and then I finish with my double oaked um, whiskey nice. <laughs> for, for, for dessert. <laughs> awesome. That's just me. That's just me. Um, I think I think the red wine is overrated. Although I don't mind a glass of wine, um, I just like to continue to drink my bourbon throughout dinner. I'm with you, brother. All right, let's move to the orange. Yep, I took a taste of orange, and right. now some bourbon. Yeah. Oh, and now that really opens up um, on the back of the palate. Not sure what I'm tasting, but I immediately noticed uh, I'm really tasting it in the back of the palate now more than before. Hundred percent. You probably getting maybe probably getting some grapefruit mm-hmm. that might come through. A little bit of citrus, maybe lemon, lime. It tastes very earthy right now. Okay. Yeah, earthy like uh, I, some people use uh, forest floor as a descriptor. Uh, yeah, uh, I like that one. I like your description. I'm gonna write these down. <laughs> Bicycle tire. Yeah. And forest floor. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been to a, to, Have you ever been okay. to a whiskey tasting with um, Paul Packle? 
I have not, no. Oh, man, it's the greatest thing. If you ever get a chance, <laughs> if you ever get a chance, it's, it's amazing. I had somebody, I was actually in Pittsburgh uh, a couple days ago. I did a, a tasting just like this for the local USBG. Um, and somebody, I think we, I forget which, which, where we were at, but he described it as smoking a cigarette while drinking a you a, a chocolate yoo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> and it was funny because a couple of people at the table were like, yeah, that's it. That's exactly what it is. But so that's the like, problem with tastings <laughs> is like, it's so suggestive, you know, when you hear it, it's, it's really easy to be influenced when, uh, by but, the people, I mean, you know? Yeah, but that's the thing too with taste. It's kind of like, I mean, I, I don't like things that are just taken too seriously. Like a tasting yeah. is a tasting. So it's just whatever. Totally. It's whatever you're getting. It's whatever you're tasting. You know what I mean? I just, people ask me all the time, how should I drink? What should I drink? And I'm always like, what do you like? You know, it's, yeah. all, it's not about me. It's about you. It's like what you like. You know, I, I'll walk you through the steps and I'll help you out wherever you can. But ultimately, at the end of the day, just enjoy, enjoy what you like. That's it. Yeah, Paul Paul Packle, he uh, is a great he does great tastings and, uh, it's, you know, it's always blind. He won't tell you what you're drinking until after you drink it. But, uh, yeah. you know, he goes, he goes through the whole thing. He, he'll tell you to take two tastes, you know, one to cleanse your palate out a little bit and get reset. Um, you know, especially when you're doing a vertical tasting and you're tasting different things. But, um, uh, yep. He says two tastes, everybody. I just learned so much about how to taste from him. That's great. That's great. Yeah. All right. So what's next? We got our chocolate or your cocoa. <laughs> cocoa. Bar. Whatever whatever you have left. <laughs> okay, well, that works. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. So did you get it? Get in there. Get, get a little get a little Woodford in you. Yeah. Mm. And now the thing the thing is with chocolate, you're probably thinking I mean a lot of people think it's going to be sweet, but it, it kind of has the opposite effect. So yeah, you, no, it you tones know, you, it down. Yeah, it tones it down, and you probably get a little more spice or baking spices than sweetness. No, it doesn't taste sweet. My mouth's quite dry in the moment, actually. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's well, you, interesting. But it, it, yeah, it's hard. It's actually a little hard to taste the bourbon now. I, that was probably not the ideal chocolate to be. The the using. You, have, what do you, you have the you have the powder. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of tip tip my pinky in it, and <laughs> <laughs> now, now you can't breathe. <laughs> So then we got the uh, hazelnuts, right? Let's get on that train. I toasted them up a little bit in a pan. Ah, perfect, perfect, man. See, you're you're great. Oh man, <laughs> absolutely. I'm just gonna um, <laughs> mute the mic while I chew for a second. <laughs> Do your thing, man. Do your thing. Let me know when you have the Woodford. The sound of chewing nuts on mic is not attractive. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna need some more Woodford. Stand by. Okay. Got a nice. Uh, Whiskey tasting glass here from Whiskey Live. Were you there? Oh, yeah, I was there. Oh man, we missed each other. Uh. Did you come? By, did you come by the Woodford table? I don't think I did. I, I ran out of time. Those shows are always intense. There's a lot going on. Uh, so much. Oh wow. Okay, now this tastes totally different again after those. Yeah, hazelnuts. I mean, well, you went you went all the way down the, the the spectrum here, so we're back to the nuts. So, yeah, I mean, this will this will probably bring out a lot of that wood grain. I mean, obviously, nut flavor. You might get a little more pecan in there as well. But it's so interesting that after each uh, taste of food, you taste it in a different place on your tongue. And yeah. I, was, I was talking to somebody about this. You know, when we were kids, you were told that, you know, you taste different flavors on different points of your tongue. And then now that's sort of been disproven or we're, we're going against mm. that now. But you really do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you taste different things in different parts of your mouth. I don't know. It seems to work for me. 
I, I get the same thing. I mean, especially even even tasting whiskey. Like, I mean, for our rye, like if you want to taste the rye as well, like I mean, I get like bourbon right away at the front of the tongue. Yeah, and then in the back is I get with as where I get the spice. Right. So it's it's just different. Totally. I don't know. I mean, that's that's what it happens. You know, for me. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'm the same way. The rye is um, is it a? It has some corn in it. I assume based on the taste. Yeah, it's um, 33% corn, so it's not a very high rye. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of the ryes on the market today are, you know, 90 or, or above. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're designed for the modern cocktail with a mm-hmm. lot of citrus and, and, and syrups and things like that. Um, you know, we created a, a rye that's more something you'd find, um, you know, it's a, more of an old school recipe. Um, so it's only 53% rye. It's more designed for neat rocks and or perhaps like a booze forward cocktail. It's funny. I've, I've talked to several people about this. It's like, you know, I don't see whiskey makers or spirit makers in general saying, this is it. I've created the perfect rye to make Manhattans with or whatever. You know, it's like most people, I think they're thinking, this tastes pretty good as is, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or old fashions. What's your thought on old fashions? Me? Yeah. I don't I don't mind the old fashioned. Um you know, I, I don't know. For, to me, I, I see a lot of people these days and they're like, oh, it's just overplayed and et cetera. And um, I like a good old fashioned. You know what I mean? A perfectly yeah. made old fashioned is delicious. Yeah. Um, so I don't mind ordering it. I don't mind people ordering it from me. I don't hate on anybody that's ordering an old fashioned. Um, you know, if you want to order no, something No, I think it's, it's, it's really, you know, well-respected. It's a you know solid cocktail and 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 well made one is is good, but I was at a USBG meeting recently and I just overheard you know the next group over chatting and somebody said you know I don't really like old fashioned I'm like did you just say that because I kind of feel the same way like if I'm gonna like I'll just drink the whiskey you know on the rocks that's how kind of how I like it like I don't really need it sweetened up with some bitters in it I like it as is oh, you know i love yeah. a manhattan i love a manhattan yeah. i love a negroni i love you know i love a boulevardier um but when i don't something about the old i don't know somebody yeah, needs, I know. somebody I needs mean, to make me a really good one for me personally <laughs> like I, i'm right there with you like I, I mean i just you know i used to upset my customers at the bar because they'd be like you know make me something and i'm like well, what do you want me to make and they're like well what would you drink right now and i i I'd be, I'd be, I, I tell them whiskey in a glass right uh, and i know they didn't <laughs> want to hear that but i'm like that's what i would drink i mean i prefer i prefer my bourbon just in a glass you yeah. know i mean like <laughs> maybe maybe a large ice cube if i'm in the mood but like that's it i don't i mean for me personally i don't need the sugar or the extra bitters i don't mind a dash of bitters now and then but um you know i'm i'm right there with you like i i can cut out everything and just keep the bourbon in a, in, a, in a glass. I feel like this is a taboo subject somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like old fashions. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't mind an old fashioned. Like I said, I, I just I'd prefer I'd prefer to drink it by myself. The mm-hmm. the, the bourbon. Yeah, man. Wow. Uh, uh, the um, there was one more taste uh, of food that we were supposed to do with this tasting when I couldn't source <laughs> the the sorghum. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't even know where you go to buy something like that. Yeah, you can find it on Amazon, or you can find it, in, or you can find it in Kentucky. I know it's a it's a grain it's a grain, right? Yeah, it's a it's a cereal grain, um, you know, predominantly down down south, um, and they turn it into like it's the it's the honey or the molasses of of Kentucky. Oh, so okay. They they use it. It's a sweetener. Um, I uh, that, that, I that actually I eat gluten free, so uh, oh, you do? Yeah, I've been doing it for over ten years, and. Um, 
uh, for, you know, not, not as a fad kind of thing, just cause it was sort of medically whatever. But anyway, um, I know there's a one or two, uh, sorghum beers out there that are gluten free. Oh. oh, is that right? Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, uh, so what, what flavors does the, that bring out? Uh, that, that'll bring out your sweetness. Um, you mm. know, so it'll, it'll bring out your, your vanilla, your honey, uh, your molasses flavors. Um, so all those sweet aromatics of Woodford will pop out with, with the sorghum. There's a, I, I think there's some whiskeys made with sorghum as well. I'm sure. I'm sure. Anything that is a natural sweetener on the market today, I feel like, uh, more and more companies are trying to utilize into, into products. So, um, who's the like master distiller at Woodford? Chris Morris. Okay. Yeah. Not yep. familiar so, with him. Yep. Chris has been the master distiller for about 12, 14 years now. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys that it's funny with with the Brown Foreman family. It's like, and I feel like nobody nobody leaves over there. Um, I, you know, I've just just started with the company in the past year, and I talk to people, and they look they look like you know ten years younger than me, and they're like, oh, I've been with the company thirteen years, and people have been with the company fifteen years, and someone like Chris, he actually worked at the Brown Foreman Distillery when he was a teenager, um, and his parents worked at the Brown Foreman Distillery, so he's been with the Brown Foreman Company for many many decades um and just has moved his way up to uh to master distiller but we were talking earlier about how uh you you know you had to set up events for uh, large groups of people and stuff and uh batching cocktail well last year i had to batch uh juleps for the derby for an off-site party for uh, about 250 people and which was something i had never done before so i kind of i put up on the uh usbg new york page uh facebook page you know what's the best way to do this? And I got a, yeah. uh, I got a, I got a bunch of, uh, responses, which was awesome. But, um, what, what, how yeah. do they, how do they do it at the Derby? It is, it is all pre-batching <laughs> there at the Derby. Well, they, yeah, um, it have to be. To, to, to put in perspective, they go through approximately 120,000 mint juleps, <laughs> um, that are sold at the racetrack for that weekend, Whoa. um, which is a lot of juleps. And then they go through, about a thousand pounds of locally fresh harvested mint, um, as a well. Thousand pounds of mint. That's like thousand they, pounds. Like you talk of about a, 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 a thousand pounds of feathers. Imagine how much. <laughs> That's what I mean. Right, right. Like when you see like those drug busts of like <laughs> pounds of weed. Like yeah, that's like just big giant packages of weed. Um, sorry, of a, of a mint coming in to the to the derby. So. So do they make a a syrup with the fresh mint and then how does that work yeah they use um from what I, from what i've learned like i said I, I haven't been there uh i haven't been able to actually get a hold of or talk to anyone at the track but from what i know and what everyone's told me locally with with woodford um you know they they just pre-batch the simple syrup the mint uh and the bourbon um the day of um i don't know if it's in, it's in large buckets but it, it, it's done in, in a pre-batch form and then they they transfer it into smaller containers and literally just pouring it out, dumping the crushed ice, uh, stirring it, putting more ice, garnishing, and getting it out. So mm-hmm. there's big tubs of mint juleps sitting in the back of the back bars of the Kentucky Derby somewhere. Well, oh, here's something that I've been kind of struggling with lately at my bar is um, keeping the mint fresh. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, and especially on, on Derby Day, you want to keep that cold, chilled. Uh, as as much as possible. I mean, because you know, if you leave it out, I mean, obviously we all know that's gonna uh, it's gonna wilt and 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 go away. But like you know, the, 
I'm sure there's, there's much refrigeration, uh, a lot of coolers, um, you know, sitting around and, and, and keeping that, keeping that produce, uh, fresh. Yeah. But there's talk about, you know, uh, some people would dunk their mint in ice water and then cut off the stem, sort of like a flower mm. vase, you know, and, and keep it, um, keep it in water. Other people actually use hot water and, uh, kind of blanch hot it. Hot water. Yeah. Some people yeah, would blanch it. Uh, see, I, have, I haven't heard of the hot water yet. That's, uh, that's something new to me. Yeah. That's, a, I mean, um, I, I've always liked to, like I said, I always like to kind of keep the stems and, and, and put into like a nice cold, uh, chilled glass full of water, uh, you know, kind of like plant style. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, exactly. I, for me, I try to keep it in the fridge as much as possible and bring it out whenever I have to, uh, and then keep it, keep it cold. But I've never, I've, I haven't done any of the blanching yet. I, have I, I haven't, that. I haven't done it either, but, um, hmm. you know, it's a matter of, uh, chloroform, right? Is that the right word? Chloroform. Chlorof- <laughs> no, I think we're <laughs> But you you kind of set the color uh, with hot water, and that's a Leo Robichek thing. That makes a lot of sense. I, I guess, but it sounds scary. To See, I'm learning a lot. If... From, I'm learning a lot from you. Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. But it's a, yeah, it's a scary thing to dunk your you know fresh herbs in hot water. It seems like you know anti. It seems like the wrong thing to do. Yeah, it seems, it seems counterproductive, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Counterintuitive. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. you go. There yeah, you go. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's uh, quick get into the uh, the rye and the double oaked. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, well, let's pour ourselves some rye. I've got a bottle in front of me too, so I'm going to join you now. Good. Good. It's yeah. about it's about time, Walter. I know, right? I was trying to keep, I was trying to keep it together, but <laughs> since we're blanching our mint now, we can <laughs> we can we can move on. We can do um, anything. Exactly. If we could blanch exactly. mint, we could do anything. <laughs> if we can blanch mint and pre-batch one hundred twenty thousand <laughs> mint juleps, then we can do anything we want. All right, let's get into let's get into the rye. Uh, like I mentioned, it's fifty-three uh, percent rye. It's thirty-three percent corn. Um, again, it's not a very high rye that you'll see on the markets. Um, you know, it's, it's designed for neat rocks and, you know, if you want to do a Manhattan old fashioned, but I guess I, I think it won't even stand up to high, you know, syrups and, and citrus. So save it, save it, neat rocks. Um, somebody, you know, I would even describe it almost as a, uh, a gateway rye, um, you know, cause there's a lot of high rise on the market right now that are just really intense, really peppery, really spicy, um, this one has a, has some good spice to it, uh, but it's not as not as intense as, as you'll see with with other rye. So that's so true. I, you know, I, it, when I when I taste this sort of out of the blue, I'm like, uh, you know, it's um, obviously not a high rye bourbon, uh, a high rye rye. <laughs> but um, tasting it side by side by the bourbon, I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's that's rye, all right. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's definitely a rye. So go go ahead and, and, and taste it. Yeah, it's nicely balanced with the the rye. It, I'm, it's almost like a cocktail. If I stirred this up with some ice, yeah, that, that's yeah, like a, it, you know, it's perfect, perfectly balanced with the sweetness and the, and the spice. I think. Yeah, and as we touched upon before, like I said, I get like that bourbon taste in the the top of my tongue, and then towards the back is when I start getting some of those spices. I guess some of the clove, um, you know. So it's like bourbon in the front and rye in the back. Yeah, uh, and then it's like a mixture. Of, I get a lot of mint as well. In there, mm-hmm. very minty to me. So like a clove, black pepper, and some mint. I remember the first time I was trying to trying to learn about rye, and somebody said, "Well, just think of rye bread." 
I was like, oh yeah, totally. I used to, I used to love, <laughs> um, before I went gluten-free when I was a kid, I used to love, you know, rye bread with the caraway seeds on it, you know, and uh, right. my, my sandwiches, that's how, that's how I ate all, every day, you know, and uh, that, that's what a good rye should taste like. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So we'll do some uh, now double oaked. Yeah. Um, let's get into that. Have you had the double oak before? I have not. Other oh, than a, a tiny taste yesterday. <laughs> you're, you're in for a treat. You're in for a treat. So let's pour ourselves some of the double oaked. I'll join you again here. All right. So the double oaked is, um, it's essentially the Woodford Reserve bourbon uh, distiller select. And what they'll do is they'll, when it's finished, uh, they'll take it out and they'll put it into a new charred oak barrel uh, that's been deeply toasted. And they'll put it in that extra barrel um, for one more year. And of course, what that's going to do is give you that extra maturation process. It's going to give you a little bit of deeper color. So if you look at the color compared to the bourbon, it's just a little yeah. bit darker. Yeah, it is. Um, but nose it if you if you get a nose on it. So it's a, a brand new barrel both times, then. That's correct. Wow. That's correct. Oh, cool! I didn't realize that. Yep. So if you smell it, you're going to get you know as we talked about the flavor profiles, uh, you're going to probably get a little more. You know, you're going to get some of that wood. You're going to get some of that grain, uh, but you're also going to get like a lot more sweeter aromatics. I get like a, um, I want to say peach pie. Mm, there you go. That's a great call. Mm. Yeah. And, the, and those sweet aromatics um, continue on. You know, you get that. You probably get a lot of vanilla. It's so, yeah. it's so mellow. Car- caramel. Mm-hmm. Peach pie. I love that. Peach pie is great. Yeah, you get a lot of the fruit, some of the grain. And yeah, but it's fruit. It's it's cooked fruit. You know, that's been yeah, loving, right. lovingly <laughs> baked for a couple hours. Uh, so it's great. Like I said, it, it's just uh, to me this this is a perfect ending to my meal. Like when I, when I, we talk about food and culinary, and um, like when I want to finish my dinner, I don't really need a cognac or a brandy. I just I go right for my double oaked, uh, and this takes me to the place I want to be. <laughs> mm. oh, see, now I get a little a little spice to that now. Well, uh, anything else you want to tell us about? Oh, you, you uh, emailed me a cocktail today, which uh, you want to tell me about that? So we actually did a, speaking of double oaked, we, we did a big double oaked lunch uh, with, with about 30 uh, local bartenders in New York City uh, at a place called Blacktail. It's actually the folks, we mentioned the Dead Rabbits earlier, it's the, the folks that opened the Dead Rabbit. They opened up a new Cuban-themed um, inspirational you know, cocktail bar slash restaurant um, so one of my friends, Jesse Vita, who is the, um, the head bartender manager over there, he's awesome. um, great guy, great, great guy. guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he created this punch, uh, for our, um, for our lunch, uh, two weeks ago. So it was fantastic. Um, and it's perfect for the spring, uh, summer season. So yeah, that's the one uh, that you're looking at right there. Yeah. It sounds delicious. And, um, Orjad is just magical stuff, man. It's got Orjad it's in it. It's, just a little bit, a little bit goes, goes a long way, you know, something like that. So it has a rhubarb syrup, uh, vanilla syrup, some fresh lemon, just one dash of aromatic bitters and uh, 1.5 of the wood preserve double oak. It's very, very refreshing, um, you know, to keep in their Cuban themed uh, restaurant. It work, works really well. It's something that you would be having at, in Havana. You'd be having on the beach somewhere, uh, but it's not, not too sweet. Uh, not too citrusy and just just a perfectly well-rounded cocktail uh, for the spring-summer months. Very cool cocktail, and uh, I'll, I'll have to make one of those. 
that that'll yeah. be our cocktail of the week this week on the Bartender oh, Journey that. podcast. I love that. <laughs> well, Walter, man, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I hope to um, actually meet you in person one of these days and yeah, um, share a dram. I love that. I would love that, man. Let me know when you're available. Thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thank you. Cheers. Bye, brother.